Hey, how you doing? Thanks to Jill and Rory for that uh, video. That financial piece is one of the classes we're starting starting this Wednesday. And so there's a whole list. You can go on our website, app, find out more, sign up for that uh, as we start our care groups this Wednesday. It's been a great day uh, to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And you, this is, we're full, right? I'm sure we have some folks in the overflow. So I just want to offer this to you. At 930, we do the exact same service. Uh, and there's plenty of room at 930. So if that fits your schedule, you'd like to try to check that out. And, and I preach much better at 930. <laughs> All right, so just <laughs> check that out. Uh, uh, give us a little space. We want to continue. It's exciting to see people come back, uh, but we want to kind of help keep safe, right? So cool. Thank you. Also something else I want to ask you to do. Uh, if you're on your smart device, phone, iPad, whatever, would you mind just sharing our service right now? Go on the Facebook or the MySpace, uh, whatever you guys are, whatever the cool kids are using now. Uh, and if you'll just share that, that way we helps get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. And just a cool way to tell people what's going on here at First Burleson uh, so they can hear about Jesus. All right? Um, as Sam mentioned, we are back into the study of Romans. And I know it's been a few weeks since we left Romans. And I wanted to just kind of catch us up, if we could, for a minute, catch us back up to speed. Uh, I'll just go back to Romans chapter 12, which verses 1 and 2, very famous verse for all of us. We've probably used it, quoted it many, many times. Let me just refresh our memory. What Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then we talked about that. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? That's an oxymoron. So what does that mean? And it's not just that we sacrifice certain things for God, but this is our lifestyle. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And then we looked at verses 9 through 21 where Paul breaks that down, what the activities of a spiritually healthy body looks like. Uh, things like love sincerely, hate evil, cling to good, devote to one another, never lack in zeal, bless your enemies, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And then he talked about our attitudes of a spiritual healthy body, that we're all about reconciliation, not revenge. Right? We're trying to reconcile things and relationships, not to overpower them. That our approach is to overcome evil with good. And then I ask you the question, what can you do as an individual member of our church to enhance the health of First Baptist Burleson? And that was one of the things that I challenge you to consider. Uh, Romans 13 deals with government and political authorities. We actually looked at that section back in November as we were moving towards the election. And Paul reminds us that God places all authorities in their position. And he said that to encourage us that regardless, and, and he's writing to Christians in Rome who are under Roman rule. So as he writes that, it's to encourage to say, it doesn't matter what the political scene looks like, God is in control. So much to the fact that those leaders who follow him, God will use them. Those leaders who do not follow God, God, if he so chooses, will use them to accomplish his will. God's will will be accomplished regardless. And so that's hopeful to them and hopeful to us uh, in our day and time as well. But the ultimate focus of that from Paul was that we are to serve the highest authority. We always obey God over man. 
If mankind authorities ever try to tell us to do something we know is sinful against God, we choose to obey God, not man, whatever the cost. Okay, so that was encouragement to us, uh, and that we are to obey God, but learn how to disagree agreeably. Did you know that's possible? Doesn't look like it much anymore, does it? To have a different opinion, but still be able to get along and, and show and express love to one another. That's a word that we need to hear today. So uh, Romans 13, verses 12 through 14, let me just pick up there. We didn't study these passages, but here's what Paul writes. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside all the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So I wanted to lead that because it leads us into chapter 14, which is a direct contrast to what he's just said in chapter 13. Paul gives us a general statement about sin, that we're to flee sin. We know as Christ followers, part of our commitment is to fight against sin. We still sin, we're not perfect, but our desire is not to live a life of sin. And so he's dealt with that throughout pretty much his whole letter here. And that leads us into chapter 14, where he's dealing with the idea of Christian freedom. So he's not dealing with sin in chapter 14 per se, but he's dealing with the, the two issues of legalism and license. So these are two extremes. He's writing to Christians here, so he's talking about life of faith. One extreme is legalism. Legalism tells us you have to do this, act this way, say this way, think this way if you're truly a Christian. If you don't do this, you're not a Christian. So it's a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts. On the other extreme is license. Well, hey, I'm forgiven, so what does it really matter what I do? <laughs> I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die, so does it really matter how I live my life on this earth? Two extremes of this idea of living a life of faith, both of them wrong, both of them sinful. So what Paul is writing about in chapter 14 is kind of the in-between. I am a person of faith. What does that mean when it comes to life? Again, we're not talking about sin here. He's dealt with that. Scripture deals with the black and white sin, a sin we call sin, sin. He says to leave all that carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, those, those are defined but what about this kind of gray area that we find ourselves in, in pursuing Jesus and wanting to pursue Jesus? So again, context is helpful here. Paul is writing to Christians who are in Rome. The church is made up of Gentiles who are considered pagans without belief or belief in many different gods. It was all over the map that have been converted to Christianity and it's mixed with Jews who had been converted to Christianity who have a very religious background. And so there was disputes or disagreements or bad attitudes towards one another because of these two contexts. So you've got generational stuff, you've got different nationality stuff, you've got, but they're all new believers, so they're all learning. And Paul divides the Roman church into two categories, the weak and the strong. Now you might think that the weak would be new believers, but they were all new believers. That's not the definition. 
the weak actually are the Jews. Now, I would have thought the Jews would have been the strong because at least they have a religious background. But as Paul points out, that's part of the problem. Their focus has been on religion, not about relationship. And so they're understanding what it means to love God and serve God out of relationship, not out of simply duty or rules and regulations. He calls the Gentile converts strong because they don't have some of that religious baggage as they come into Christianity. Now, religion has a purpose. It has a place. It is to lead us to God. It is a vehicle. It is not something to be worshiped. God is all about relationship. Religion leads us into relationship, but he's about relationship. It's not, following Jesus is not about a bunch of rules. Now, yes, there are rules and guidelines and principles that we obey, but that's not ultimately the point. Because we can do the rules without loving God at all. So Paul is reiterating this fact about these two categories. And, and so he's helping us to define this idea of weak and strong. And his whole focus here, Paul's desire is a holy, unified church. If you remember last week as we had our vision Sunday, I encourage you to begin to pray and ask God to give you a desire for holiness. Now, one of the things I've struggled with as a Christian, well, okay, I've, I've, I've got to want to be holy. <laughs> and it's just not natural. It's not a natural thing within me apart from Christ. And so I want to be holy as God says, be holy because as I am holy, I want to do that, but that's not my natural human desire. So it is okay to ask God, God, give me that desire. He will give us the desires that will lead us to lives that please him. Okay, so it's not something we have to manufacture our own. We can ask him. So I challenge you to begin to pray that prayer. God, give me a desire for holiness. And this is Paul's desire for the church. So look at verse one through three of chapter 14. Accept the ones whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them all. So what I get out of this passage is vegetarians are weak. If you don't eat meat, you're a wimp, right? No, that's exactly what Paul says don't do, right? You may not understand it. You may not agree with it. It may not be for you, but don't look down upon them. And, and the weaker don't judge the strong because they do these things that you, at this point, don't think are right. But his whole focus here is, look, church, stop judging each other. The word adiaphora is what Paul uses to describe this, the non-essentials. Again, he's not talking about sin. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about the life that we live now in, in the faith. What does that look like? What is it supposed to look like? What is this idea of Christian freedom? What does it mean to be free in Christ in regards to how I live my life? And he reminds these believers, as he reminds all of us, we're all on a faith journey. Now, he would categorize your place on the faith journey, not whether you're a new Christian or a seasoned veteran in the faith, 
but your depth of understanding of Christian freedom, your understanding and knowledge of God and what it means to be a Christ follower, that would be how he would categorize us. So we're all at different places in that regard, as well as some of us are new believers and some of us are seasoned veterans. And the faith that he refers to is not the faith that leads to salvation. It's the faith that allows us to live this life in Christ. What does my faith allow me to do? He calls them disputable matters, that word adiaphora. These are, these are points of discussion. These are points that we may or may not agree on, but it doesn't impact my salvation. It doesn't impact my spiritual maturity. It doesn't impact my faith journey. These are those areas that are real in their life, and they need to be dealt with, but they're not life-changing necessarily. But his point is, these things, do not use them to divide one another. So I got to thinking, what are some of the things in church that cause division? Whether it's through different churches or within a church or denominations. Uh, One of them, worship styles. I grew up, well, I didn't grow up, I was older. Remember worship wars? (laughs) When people were trying to define what worship was supposed to look like. I'm grateful that we are a church that has many different worship styles. I hope to add more in the future. But I'm grateful that we have a traditional worship that meets down at 9.30 in Worship West with piano, organ, hymns. That's awesome. I love that we have two modern services at 9.30 and 11 here in this room with praise bands and praise teams and and all that. I love that we have a Spanish worship meeting right now at 11 o'clock down in Worship West. I love that we have multiple styles because the goal is to help people connect to God in a way that they get, the way that leads them to the throne. That's the ultimate purpose of worship is to lift up the name of Jesus. And so we want to do it in such a way that, that you connect to God. That's why we have these different styles. But it has been very divisive in church history. There are versions of the Bible, some that think you can only read or speak from the King James Version, uh, even though there are all kinds of versions. Frequency of communion. Some churches have communion every Sunday. We do it at least once a quarter, if not more than that. So again, these are not doctrinal issues. Now, if you came and said, well, you have to take communion in order to be saved, we would have a problem. (laughs) That's a doctrinal issue. These are not necessarily doctrinal issues. Method of baptism. So in kind of a non-spiritual aspect, things that have been divisive in church is drinking of alcohol, dancing, smoking, and playing cards. (laughs) You think I'm joking, don't you? No, this is, and I knew this crowd would go, what? What are you talking about? Why 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 are we even talking about it? Why is that even an issue? Because it has been in the past. Um, One of the things Robin and I like to do, we like to dance. We've we've taken some dance lessons and stuff, and uh, we like to dance. And so 20 years ago, we were at a wedding, and they did the father-daughter dance and the mother-son dance, and then they opened the floor. Well, the the girl, the bride was from our church and the groom was from another church, which was a charismatic church. And so as soon as they opened the dance floor, man, all the charismatics got on the floor. <laughs> they, you know, they were, they were getting after it. All the Baptists sat back with really judgy looks on their faces. And so I looked at Robin and she looked at me. I said, let's go. So we got on the dance floor. And this was back, they had these little disposable cameras. You remember those? And so they had them on every table and they just wanted you to take pictures of different aspects of the wedding and then they would develop them and they would have a album of pictures. 
developed. They used to, gosh, that sounded so old right now. So, so anyway, we get out on the floor and, and we're dancing. And all of a sudden we look around the dance floor and there's all these people, these disposable cameras taking pictures. Now I knew it was because of my dance moves. I mean, that had to be why they were there. And then somebody said, no, we have never seen a Baptist preacher dance before. <laughs> it took about 30 seconds for the whole floor was filled with Baptists and charismatics all getting along on the dance floor. They just were waiting for somebody to say, oh, it's okay, right? But, I mean, we laugh and joke about that, but this has been the point of contention with many fellowships, this idea of what is allowed, what can we do as Christians? And so this is what Paul is addressing. But again, the purpose is don't be divisive. The strong that he refers to, they understood something, that what is not forbidden in God's Word is free for the Christian to decide whether they're going to be involved in that or not. So he's actually dealing with three aspects here that, was, that were points of contention within the Roman church. Again, Gentiles and Jews. One was the eating of meat. He, he referenced that because the Gentiles are like, hey, let's have a barbecue. And the Jews were, how do I know that meat wasn't sacrificed to an idol? So it had religious connotations here. It's not that they, all Jews are vegetarians or vegans, but they want to make sure that that meat had not been sacrificed. Same with drinking of wine. Having wine was not the issue. That was accepted. But where did the wine come from? And then Jews had royal feasts, royal festivals, royal holidays that the Gentiles were foreign to. They didn't understand that. And so when the Jews wanted to celebrate that, the Gentiles were like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I handle that. It seems like every day is just like the, the others. And so there was a point of discussion going on within the church that Paul addresses. And so he addresses that, and he addresses that more in the end of chapter 14. But again, he keeps coming back to this. Stop judging each other on these matters. In the scheme of things, they're not essential. It's not affecting your salvation. It's not affecting your spiritual maturity. It's just learning to live life in the faith. But stop using them for reasons to judge one another. Because both of you are at fault. The weak were at fault and the strong were at fault. Because both of them were looking down on each other. Because of what they did or because of what they didn't do. And the word judge means to pronounce doom. I mean, this was serious. It wasn't like they just sat back and watched or shook their heads or whispered to one another. No, this was, this was serious judging going on. And let's just be honest. I, I love being a Southern Baptist. I love the history of our denomination. I love what our denomination does. But we have been labeled as very judgy people. And rightfully so in some cases. I mean, we're not without fault in this. In fact, it hurts my heart so many times when I'm out in public and I meet someone who's not a Baptist or not a believer and I get to the conversation, I'm a Baptist pastor. Oh, so you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. I feel like I'm in a cult when they do that. And it seems to me that more people know what Baptists don't do than what we do. So I hope we can change that. that there's a, we're not about do's and don'ts. We're really about a relationship with Jesus Christ and getting that message to the ends of the earth. That's what I love that we do well. And, and so this is what Paul is saying. Stop being judgy. Verse 17 of chapter 14, we'll look at this verse next week, but Paul says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so for the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether you live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So stop getting caught up in all these non-essentials. Stop bringing division to the body, to the fellowship. We're all in different stages, and that's okay. Just don't get stuck there. Continue to be open to the Lord's leadership. But Paul's very clear, but stick to your conviction, convictions. There's only one Lord, and he is over all of us. We are not to lord over each other in our ideas and our opinions. Again, these are things that are not sin, but we all have an opinion about them. I know some of us are very uncomfortable right now because <laughs> we're talking about dancing and drinking and playing cards. And, and we're not talking Uno here, all right? And I hope that you are uncomfortable. I hope they're all a little bit uncomfortable. I hope you're afraid of what I'm going to say <laughs> because it's something we have to at least consider and not just act like it's not there because it is there. And too many times it's used to cause division. Paul says to us, it is sinful for us to do something that we are not convinced is okay. Hey, if you are convinced that eating meat is a sin and you eat meat, then you have sinned. If you are convinced that Christians shouldn't dance and you get out there and dance as poorly as you would, then that's sinful because you have not been convinced that this is okay. Again, Paul said, it's okay where you are right now, but be willing to be taught, be willing to learn, be, I hate to use this term, open-minded because that has so many negative connotations, but open-minded to the truth of what it means to live in Christian freedom. And he brings us back to ground us that faith is the key component. It's about matters of the faith. Again, not faith that leads to salvation. But now that I am a person of faith, what am I permitted to do? What does my life look like? But he says, whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat, do all to the glory of God. Do it out of conviction, not out of opinion. He writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, these weak Christians, they just didn't want to make a mistake, so they're going to play it safe. So let's just kind of back out of all this because I don't want to, they didn't want to step over the line. They didn't want to cause an offense. I mean, their hearts were pure, even though they didn't quite understand this idea of Christian freedom. And again, that was okay. They didn't feel comfortable doing some of these things, so Paul says, then don't do it. Now, a little bit about my history. When I, as an early believer, 
I mean, I'm elementary school age growing up. I grew up in a fundamentalist Southern Baptist church that really was all about rules and regulations. The hellfire and brimstone, the don't do this if you do this. You know, the goal was to make you feel guilty even though you didn't know why, <laughs> right? So that's kind of how I grew up. And then, then I got set free and began to understand Christian freedom and what that means. And so this is kind of the group that Paul is dealing with. You know, I grew up that it was wrong to clap or raise your hands in church because that's, that's what the charismatics did, you know. And so I remember the first time I, I raised my, I mean, just raised my hands in church, it, w- it was a struggle. I mean, it was hard because I didn't want to do it wrong. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to offend anybody. I was going back years of history of breaking free from some of that baggage that had been put in my head. And now I, I love it. I love to see others raising their hand in worship. But I wanted to do it out of sincerity, not out of an act, not out of trying to show that I'm holier than anybody. Or I wanted to be pure. So that was a struggle. But once I was kind of set free, I love seeing you guys do that. I love our teenagers that are here in worship. It's just, it's contagious. It's awesome. But there was a time that I was taught that was wrong. And there may be something in your life that you've been taught in the past was wrong. And so I'm just asking you to consider, actually ask this question. If what you believe about Christianity is wrong, would you want to know it? Let's just start there. Or, or practicing Christianity. If what you believe is the way to practice Christianity, if that's wrong, would you be willing to know it? I think maybe we could start there. And Paul really challenges even the weaker, to resist that holier-than-thou attitude. You guys know anybody like that? Well, turn to him right now and tell him to stop. <laughs> Tease him. I just need a drink of water. Um, Paul pointing us to faith really is asking the question, what is Jesus interested in? And verse 17 told us that. He's not interested in these little squabbles that we get into over the non-essentials. He's really interested in our character. If we have a right character, our behavior is going to follow. He's really about transforming us by the renewing of our heart. But Paul is saying to these stronger believers that the younger believers just need patient instruction. Be patient with them. They're just not there yet. Give them patient instruction. Talk about the why behind the what. Why do you do what you do? Why do you eat the meat when they struggle with it? Let them know why. Let them know your motivation. And then he says, live for each other. We're not supposed to act out of regard only for ourselves, but realize that we are a community. We are a family. And what I do affects you and what you do affects me. So let's always consider that. Not looking to my own interests first, but actually looking to the interests of Jesus was Jesus made it very clear. You need to look to the needs of each other first. Not disregarding your own needs, but you see how that works? If I'm looking to your needs before mine and you're looking to my needs before yours, everybody gets their needs met and everyone gets to meet needs. It's like the marriage relationship. It's the beauty of the church. So we're to live for each other. Look at verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brothers or sisters? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. 
It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Again, he's not talking about sin here. We are to hold one another accountable when it comes to the area of sin. If I see you living in sin or allowing sin into your life as your brother in Christ, it is my responsibility, led by the Holy Spirit, bathed in much prayer, to go and confront you on that issue. Because sin only seeks to destroy. And if I really love you, I want to help stop sin from destroying your life. But he's talking about in these non-essential issues, then you're not to judge one another. That is God's job. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and convict us if what we're doing is wrong and we trust in him as long as we're staying close to him. So why do you judge your brother and sister? That's not your role. So Paul rebukes the strong for condemning, looking down upon the weak. He condemns the weak for judging the strong because it's dividing the church down the middle. And this is what ultimately hurts the heart of God. So every believer is ultimately answerable to God. Paul is saying everything we're talking about is permissible, but some may not realize it yet. But ultimately, we'll all have to answer to God. He is our judge. So what you choose to do or what you choose not to do in the faith is really between you and God. And he'll get into that a little bit more as we look at it next week, chapter 14. So this is all leading up to the one question that every Baptist wants to know. Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? <laughs> and the answer is, well, it depends. And we'll look at why next week. We'll talk about more than that, but that's, that's my cliffhanger for you, right? Some of you are like, I didn't know this was an issue. <laughs> I don't even know why we're even talking about this. So here's the challenge. I want you to ask yourself the question. Am I judging other believers on the non-essentials? On the adiaphora? Am I judging people because they do something I don't think they should? I'm not saying that you have an opinion about it. I mean, you're, you're judgy <laughs> because someone doesn't practice faith the way you do. Not sin, different category. But if you allow this to be divisive in your mind and in your heart, and then we'll look at the rest of chapter 14. Next week, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are real and you deal with the realities of our lives. We thank you that your heart is for unity in your church. Whatever the denomination, whatever the local body of believers, you desire unity among those who call upon the name of Jesus as the leader and forgiver of their lives. And God, as we look around us, there is such a need for unity. Our nation is divided. Our world is divided. And yet you called the church to be the bridge builder. It is your church that you have established to be unified 
and that the world that is very unloving would know that we are your church when they see us love each other, even though we're very different. And we have different ideas and different opinions about just about everything. So Jesus, we want to glorify the Father. Even the way we eat, the way we drink, the way we conduct our lives, that it will bring glory to the Father. That others would want to know, how can you live this way? What? Why are you able to do this? How come you have peace in the midst of the storm? How can you be so calm when everything is so chaotic? How can you have hope when everything seems hopeless? People are asking those questions, Father. People are afraid. People are still hurting. And we don't have all the answers to all the questions, but we have you. And that's what we need to share. And may we start, Father, by being unified. Give us a desire for holiness that others might see you in us. In Jesus' name.